Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The nominees are Helena Bonham Carter in The Wings of the Dove, Julie Christie in Afterglow, Judy Dench in Mrs. Brown, Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets, Kate Winslet in Titanic. And the Oscar goes to Helen Hunt is As Good As It Gets. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1998 Oscar win for Helen Hunt for As Good As It Gets. And gays, get ready because this is going to be the year where your heart will go on. Because, oh yes, we're talking about the Best Picture win this year for Titanic. And honey, I got all the facts. So get ready uh, for quite the year of uh, people being robbed and people not being robbed. I don't know. We're going to get into it. But today I am joined by a returning guest that I loved having him on so much the last time that I had to have him back as soon as possible, uh, Tim Riel. Uh, Tim Riel has uh, his live show on Twitch called Codenames Live. It's every Monday and Thursday at 8 p.m. Welcome, Tim. Welcome back. Hi, Kyle. It's good to be back. <laughs> so in 1998, uh, the Best Picture went to Titanic. Best Director went to James Cameron. Best Actor went to Jack Nicholson for As Good As It Gets. Best Supporting Actor went to Kim Basinger for L.A. Confidential, which, by the way, I have seen that movie, and I have no fucking clue how she won that Oscar. But again, <laughs> that's a different podcast. Uh, Best Supporting Actor went to Robin Williams for Goodwill Hunting. And... I before we started recording, Tim, you were just saying how you felt about oh, this God, year, yeah. and I would I would like you to just maybe reiterate some of that of what you just said. Okay, so uh, I was I was excited uh, when you asked me back because we did uh, I think we did uh, I can't, something in the seventies. It was when Faye Dunaway won for Network, and I was worried mm-hmm. because you you had told me that you, you weren't a fan of seventies films, and uh, mm-hmm. and so when you had to do a year in the seventies, uh, you weren't looking forward to it. So I'm like, oh, they must be terrible movies. And then that year, there were some challenging, amazing movies, some amazing roles, some amazing performances and great writing. And I was just like, wow, what a I forgot how amazing Hollywood is. And so when uh, when you asked me to come back, I'm like, my favorite movie is as good as it gets. So let's do the year when Helen Hunt won for that. And then I watched all the movies. (laughs) And that's a it was a that's a shit year. 1998 <laughs> was not a great year for actresses. Uh, I don't know if it was a great year for actresses, but I think because um, obviously there's a lot of talk about how female roles in, in, in Hollywood films are not are not good and juicy or meaty. And, and they're always a supporting character or they're always advancing a male plot. Right. And when we watched them, when we did the first ep- uh, episode that I was on with Faye Dunaway, that wasn't the case with those actresses. Like they mm-hmm. they were fully formed. You know, a mm-hmm. movie from the well, except 70s. for Talia Shire, <laughs> except for Talia Shire, yeah. uh, and uh, and then I watched in the '90s, and I'm like, I think the late '80s, all the way through the '90s and the aughts, might be the reason why people think that people can't write for women. Because <laughs> holy shit, did we give up the, on women's stories in the '80s? Like, is that is that where it started? 
Right. I mean, you know, I uh, I don't know if I agree. I actually really loved this year, except for <laughs> one, except for one. Although I loved kind of the camp quality of it. I do. I would say that a lot of these movies thematically were kind of the same. It was always some sort of a period piece yeah. with forbidden love. And I mean, I realized that the in Mrs. Brown, for example, that would obviously be like it was just like a friendship. But I mean, fuck off. That was a very intense you know friendship um but i I mean i i do know kind of like what you're saying where it's sort of like rules for women now are a lot more meaty where i would say that in the 90s yeah it was very much just sort of like you were someone's wife or you were someone's mistress and or there was like a forbidden romance with someone else or like a or a, a, a what do you call that like a love triangle or something like that um yeah my biggest so, issue is that everybody is trying to fall in love and nobody has a fucking hobby. That's right. I <laughs> I know exactly what you mean by that. Like are you saying <laughs> that like like are you saying that like because the the main female character in the story it's like all she's focused on is just about furthering her relationship with the forbidden love and there's nothing else going on in her life. It's just about this kind of thing Uh, for four out of five of these films. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) So it's like, this is the only thing that's happening in this person's life. Uh, well, I feel like because these are period dramas, I feel like at the time that was basically all women had to do was, I mean, in the movie Titanic, which we're totally, oh my God, brace yourself for that one. I'm never going to shut up about that movie, but literally <laughs> like, but literally there was one part where Rose's mom is like, well, the only reason to go to college is to find a suitable husband. And it was just sort of like, so I feel like at the time, like all they did were interested in was, um, oh, by the way, you're going to be getting a lot of impressions of Rose's mom on this episode. Everyone brace yourself. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about Mrs. Brown then. Let's talk about Dame Judi Dench and Mrs. Brown to begin. So this is about Queen Victoria. What's hilarious is that um, I actually wrote down. I was reading online that in real life, <laughs> Queen Victoria was 19 years younger than Judi Dench was whenever she um, played the character in this movie. I'm not really sure why they chose to like age her so much but i guess you know if it's a thing from like the uh you know like uh 17th century then fine uh but literally with judy dench uh she was the one that said that this was the movie that really launched her career and basically this was after uh when prince albert died and um queen victoria was in mourning for like a really long time um prince albert's friend and confidant came and acted as like her head of security i suppose and just sort of helped her with her day-to-day affairs to get her life back on track i'm sorry but they were supposed to just be like really good friends but it really did seem like judy dench or queen victoria was very much in love with this man um uh billy Connolly is the is the guy i can't remember his character's name but anyway uh during her time of mourning after prince albert dies or or king albert i don't even know how you would call that it was uh, yeah it's prince albert and that's a that's a major sticking point for her it's a, one of the only times she drifts away from uh from i'm sad because my husband died which by the way is the theme of the movie like she's in mourning for like what a year and a half at the point where we start the movie and the whole longer. movie yeah yeah the the catalyst for it is everybody working for her is tired of mourning yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they're like yeah. can we bring billy Connolly, the scotsman uh to get her out of this reverie that she's in yeah 
and and right out the gate though i mean i can kind of see how this really got judy dench's movie career started because um you can tell right away like how devastated she feels by the loss of albert and you can tell immediately that this is going to be like one of judy's uh best performances because she kind of just fits that like period drama but like she's played a lot of queens like she played queen elizabeth in shakespeare in love and she won an oscar for it she won uh, she played mrs brown she played um i think she played queen victoria again and she played him a few years ago but regardless this is something that she's obviously quite familiar with something that she's quite comfortable with and it, it makes sense because she is really good at kind of playing that like fuck you, I'm in charge, but I do also know that I'm a woman and it's 1860 something. Like she's, she's very, very believable and she's very, very good. Uh, and clearly this is like her brand. And um, I, I really enjoyed this movie and I really liked watching her in this movie. I really enjoyed it too. Uh, I found, uh, I think it's, again, we're, we're stuck in the uh, Netflix generation where uh, we are allowed to enjoy a story over many 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 hours uh in series form because uh, this this movie does suffer from a little uh from one scene to another a lot of things mm-hmm. have happened off camera uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you yeah. have to assume to understand the storyline and uh, and what everybody's motivations are but uh i and again i think i suffer a lot from hindsight uh sitting in 2021 and uh, looking back on this film because again yeah. if this was what launched her career then i can i can see why this was a tour de force role but watching it now mm-hmm. it, it it's for me it was just like oh it's dame judy dench doing dame judy dench that's uh, right this is, <laughs> it's and it hadn't even occurred to me that nobody had seen dame judy dench do do dench mm-hmm. at the <laughs> time so it would probably it was probably mind-blowing because she's one of the best actresses but i'm just like when i was watching it i'm like i, I wasn't blown away because i'm like yeah this is this is what she does. <laughs> <laughs> I just love like Vanity Fair claims Judy does Dench. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> Hails the Hollywood reporter. <laughs> yeah. She does it. I that's that's really funny. I um I think that uh a lot of people were saying that she was the one that should have won this Oscar. A lot of people have argued that she was really and I can see at the time, why it would be like, whoa. But I will just kind of say that I think that she's definitely the master of like, did I stutter? Like she's yes. very much, you know what I mean? And I, I think that she's really, really good at playing those kinds of strong female authoritative kind of roles. I think um, though the one thing that probably would have hurt her chances to winning this kind of Oscar is um, you have three out of the five movies are all period pieces. And I realized mm-hmm. that they're, um, Oh, actually, no, I think that uh, the, uh, the wings of the dove were actually the exact same years when Titanic was filmed. So the fashion was very similar. Uh, but with Mrs. Brown, I think the problem is that even though they're um, at around the same time, uh, except for Mrs. Brown, you kind of just group them all together because you're like, oh, they're like about the oldie times and stuff like that. So you just kind of <laughs> compare all of them. And so it's sort of like, well, which of the three was the more entertaining and the more interesting? And it's like, well, obviously Titanic. And so I feel like her incredible acting playing Queen Victoria uh, was 
like a technical achievement for her. And I think people were like, holy shit, like she's so amazing in this role. Um, but I, I, I just feel like maybe what hurt her chances was just, you know, you kind of start comparing because I mean, it is it, it is a little bit of a boring movie, like uh, just a little bit like I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But um, when you have other uh, films in this group that were a little bit more entertaining, I think that it might have affected voters. Uh, this movie was originally supposed to be a made for TV movie. Um, and then uh, Harvey Weinstein got his little mitts on it and really promoted the shit out of it. Um, but you know, in any consolation, you know, uh, Judy Dench won the following year for, uh, playing Queen Elizabeth and Harvey Weinstein for Shakespeare in Love. And Harvey Weinstein was like a big reason why she won that Oscar. I mean, she was only in the movie for like, what, like 10 minutes or something. And it's like a two and a half yeah. hour movie. So it's like, maybe she didn't win for this one, but I mean, she won her Oscar the following year for like a 10 minute performance. So Maybe that was a bit of a consolation prize. She was great in this movie, but, you know, maybe not necessarily my fave, but I can clearly see how it gave it a, a start to her career. Yeah, she was absolutely, uh, well, she was she was very dench in this movie. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> What's that uh, yeah, dench? <laughs> I, I think my issue with it, and again, goes back to what I was, uh, for me, the thesis of the year of 1998. Uh, it was just, uh, they she was not used properly. And I think it's because, first of all, the movie's called Mrs. Brown, or whatever in Mrs. Brown, what it was originally called. Mm -hmm. And it's about Queen Victoria, and it is framed to be about Queen Victoria, in that Billy Connolly, uh, when you see him, it does feel like B-plot filming. Uh, his character. <laughs> it's like it there's the main does. plot, and then there's and then there's his. When you see him, it feels like the 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 underlying story, the B-plot to the main story. But the characters are written the other way. So mm -hmm. you see a lot of Queen Victoria. We spend a lot of time with Queen Victoria, but it does seem like the writers were like, but this movie's actually about Billy Connolly. And it's right. like the movie wasn't shot or edited that way, but it was definitely written that way because there was so much that could have been done with Judy Dench. I mean, you've got Judy Dench suffering through all this, uh, through this grief and then coming out of the grief. And so she's coming out of the grief because of Billy Connolly. And mm -hmm. we focus on Billy Connolly being drunk, Billy Connolly uh, being, uh, being a little bit of a pain in the ass, Billy Connolly rubbing everybody the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And it's like at this point where we're like, you know, you could have focused on the fact that she's the queen of England and yeah, right. has <laughs> shit to do. Like yeah. you couldn't have gone into how she went from not being politically involved at all to mm -hmm. actually doing her job. Uh, no, that wasn't important. We needed to show that Billy Connolly was uh, going out of control and that she <laughs> loved him and didn't want him to leave. It that's very true. That's that's a very good point. I think that um Billy that's funny that you said that it was a B plot. That that's really funny. Um you know, I I just I feel like, you know, there's a certain amount of strength um that you have to be able to demonstrate while also being vulnerable and I think that Judy Dench like really knocked it out of the park in that kind of it way. For sure. I, I think that, you know, she's obviously a very technically achieved actress. And I think that she has that kind of presence that you can't really teach. Um, my one sort of compliment really to this movie is literally just like, wow, like clearly you're an incredible actor. Would I ever watch this movie again? Uh, no, I don't think I would ever watch this movie again. But the act, she was she really it, it, she did exactly what she was supposed to do for the role. And, and, and she was Mrs. Brown. Um, side note. 
Gerard Butler, who mm-hmm. was Billy Connolly. I was wondering if you were going to bring him up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this was kind of like his big film debut, but literally Gerard Butler. You remember the scene where Billy Connolly and Gerard Butler, they like go into the ocean at one point? They're all super naked. And how I, big is Billy Connolly's dick? I don't know. I I, I was watching a version where Holy everything was shit. heavily edited. So now I'm curious. I'm gonna... Oh, no, I watched it. Uh, I went to, I was on my Amazon Fire Cube and I just searched for it and I found it uh, somewhere. So wherever I watched it was not uh, edited. And they run into the ocean and it is almost a fully behind. Like I'd say like uh, it's it's a. Uh, just slightly off you like you can't see the front of him and you're just slightly to the left of of him but it's really a back shot and while he's running into the surf you can see his dick flop past his waist and it's just like from the angle the camera's at there's no way in hell you'd ever see my dick like how big is billy connolly anyway yeah I'm I just I just Googled I just Googled this photo. You know what? Meh. <laughs> I'm gonna give them I'm gonna give them that. I've seen bigger. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's bigger, but I'm just from the angle of that running flaccid into a cold ocean, uh, I don't see how you'd be able to see a human penis. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, well Benny, Billy Connolly looks like you got a fan. Um <laughs> I I love that. Well, so Gerard Butler, uh, you remember? Okay, so they run to the the ocean, and you see some Billy Connolly dick. Uh, Gerard Butler actually became hypothermic um, after filming that scene, and I literally am picturing like Kate Winslet floating by on that fucking door, and she's like, "Pussy!" Like just literally like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, so great job, Judy Dench. I'm glad that, you know, this, uh, this, uh, movie really launched your career. I actually have preferred you in so many more movies. Uh, but you know, great job. Yeah. Um, if this is the movie that introduces us. Thank you for the movie because yeah. uh, I can't imagine not having Judy Dench in our films. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Judy does Dench. I love it. All right. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about Helena Bottom Carter in the wings of the dove. So this is, and I'm very curious to get your take on this. This is one of those movies where you either are going to really like it or really fucking hate it. So, um, Helena Bottom Carter in the movie is this, let's say, trying to survive character. So she has like a mixed upbringing because her mother was or her her mother was a rich person but her father was like a drug addict or her mother was a prostitute and the father was like i'm not really sure but like she had like a 50 50 upbringing and then she has this like aunt uh in like old yield england like during around like 1910 1912 like basically titanic time like who was trying to save helena bottom carter uh, because her mom dies and she's like, no, I need to get you married off and we need to pretend like your other part of your family is not a piece of shit. And so we need to get you married and then you'll be rich and it'll be all good for you for the rest of your life. But secretly, Helena Bottom Carter loves a reporter. And I guess that was like forbidden for some reason. Um, and, and then what there's like that rich American millionaire that comes into the story for some reason. And then she's dying. So then Helena bottom Carter's like, Oh, I'll get my secret reporter boyfriend to fall in love with the millionaire woman. And then she'll leave all of her money to him. And then I can get married to him and then we'll live happily ever after. That's kind of the gist. Um, yeah. 
Hmm. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, just to clarify for uh, for anybody uh, listening who hasn't seen the film, which I assume is most people, uh, I had never <laughs> even heard of the film when I, when I had to go watch Same. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think uh, from a story and a writing point of, uh, uh, aspect, uh, she's mirroring her mother's uh, life. Uh, so she, her mother comes from a rich family and then uh, fell in love with uh, a ne'er-do-well who gets uh, hooked on opium. And uh, it, it, it's he's just, he's just not high class. He's just not part of the same class uh, as, as her mother. Okay. And, uh, but she chooses him for love. And then uh, obviously they don't have any money or whatever. And then uh, terrible things happen. So the aunt, <laughs> the sister of the mother is like, I don't want what happened to my sister to happen to you. You need to stay with the rich, uh, pretty people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Helena Bottom Carter is like, yeah, but I really like this dude. And it's like, yeah, that's just a normal common dude with a normal common job. We are not normal and common. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I forbid it. And then, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't understand the uh, fault in our stars lady. Uh, the, the super, uh, I'm, uh, oh, you like me and I'm nice. Uh, and uh, oh, also I'm dying. Uh, I don't, oh, I don't right. understand that trope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it was uh, so uh, because I, I know this is what you're waiting for. Uh, I, it was fine. It was, the movie <laughs> was fine. Uh, like I can see why I've never heard of it before. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was fine. It 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 was fine. So this was Helena Bottom Carter's first Oscar nomination. Her second was for the King's Speech. Actually, it's kind of interesting that she's never won before. I think she's a fantastic actress. Um, she's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, this is another period piece. This is another sort of forbidden romance sort of you know storyline. Um, a lot of the the roles for women this year, uh, if not. All of them, actually, I guess, were always like about like love and women finding love, um, which is interesting. Side note: I love how every single British film and like um, they need to have. Okay, so if you if you've ever seen a British film, you know that it's always the same British actors every time, and they kind of just like swap some like in and out. And then, like, when Harry Potter came out, they're like, okay, here, have all 10. And then whenever you watch, like, <laughs> you know, any British movie, they're all in this. So in this movie, you know, uh, Bellatrix Lestrange's father is Dumbledore. Like, it, there's just a lot of, a lot of, um, I mean, even, uh, I don't, Judy Dench was never in Harry Potter, but Billy Connolly was, uh, was Billy, no, Billy Connolly, uh, no, that that was What's-His-Face from, okay, never mind, that's, I was thinking Nearly Headless Nick I, from, Ah. yeah that's uh, yeah from uh from uh, monty python yeah. monty python oh my god <laughs> so i was like oh my god Kyle, you know this um <laughs> it just sort of seems like all of these movies was like everybody is too good for everyone and no one can be happy and um she must be with the suitable match of noble birth and um i found what what i kind of found interesting about helena bottom carter's character in this was that she isn't a good person, but she also isn't a bad person. It just sort of seems like she's doing what she has to do to survive because that is kind of, she clearly gets that from her father because every single time, like when she finds out that like um, her father is being paid to stay away from her daughter, from her aunt, 
and then her and then Helena Bottom Carter's like, what? And then Dumbledore is like, don't look at me like that. And every time that they say that in the movie, don't look at me like that. It's a way of just sort of being like, I have to do what I have to do to survive. And then whenever um, her reporter lover finds out that um, Helena Bottom Carter is like trying to basically use him to get uh, the rich woman to fall in love with him and leave him all of her money. She's like, don't look at me like that. So clearly she's a character who is conniving and will do whatever it is that she has to do to get ahead. Um, I guess that was kind of what made the character a little bit interesting for me was Mm -hmm. that she was honest about her manipulativeness. But frankly, I don't really think that what she did was that wrong. Like if the woman is going to die, like literally what cares? Might as well take her money. I mean, why not? Yeah. Like whatever. (laughs) Like, it's it's not like she needs to give her a good time. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's the very, uh, it is a very gold digger way of looking at things. It's like, look, (laughs) I kept him happy for the last three years of his nineties. Uh, I deserve this money. Yeah. Uh, But no, she's obviously a young, beautiful woman who, uh, who is being courted. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I think you hit an amazing point. I think one of the reasons that I wasn't a fan of this performance in particular, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it was an amazing performance, and uh, but I think, I think what I didn't like was this. What this seemed artificially three dimensional, if you know what I mean. Okay. Like, uh, like they they gave Helena Bonham Carter's character some uh, some really juicy decisions and some really interesting uh, character traits. And I don't know if the decisions always lined up with those traits, because uh, they're trying to they're trying to spell out uh, her, her the class system and what her belief system, and then also uh, her what she's willing to do uh, from a, uh, her morality, and mm-hmm. sometimes they don't always line up. But what I did like was uh, even when she did terrible things. It seemed like it was, I'm going to do a really nice thing, and it just happens to benefit me. Mm-hmm. And uh, f- and it, it's hard to like pin that on morality, because uh, you're like, oh no, she's, she's, she is a sweet person, and she just happens to be benefiting from things. But some scenes, it feels like they're trying to push the idea that she's actively doing bad things. And it's it, it, it was a it was it, I'm having trouble explaining it. No, I know. I, had I trouble... completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had trouble understand understanding it. it watching the movie because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why she would do this or why you're she seems vindictive in this scene. And then in the next scene, uh, she's not. And she's mm-hmm. just a sweet person. And I'm just it, it was, there was too much back and forth in, in what this character was that uh, I, I had trouble. It was fine. But wasn't that like, <laughs> I love to just to summarize it all. It was fine just after all. That. But the, the but I think that was kind of the point of her character because, I mean, listen, there was a lot of dumb bitchery going on because in the very end, uh, whenever the rich woman does die and then she does leave a big chunk of money to this guy and then Helena Bottom Carter can finally be with this guy. He literally, she literally just says, Helena Bottom Carter says to the guy, like, you need to promise me that you aren't still in love with the memory of this dead woman. And he's like, I can't. Well, he doesn't actually say that he can't answer that. And he's like, well, I can't, I can't promise you no, that I'm not. He just self- goes outside with his suitcases. Yeah. And then like, that's the end of the movie. And then it's like, Helena Barton Carter, what the fuck? You break up with him forever because you needed to control his thoughts. Like you completely lost me at that point. It was like, what was the point of, what was the point of this whole scheme when in the end you literally got 
everything that you wanted. And then you're like, pass. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, the ending really, really pissed me off. But now I'm starting to wonder if maybe that's kind of the point of her character. I think they foreshadow the ending a lot. uh, Simply because it's her plan to get them to date. And then Mm -hmm. as soon, as soon as he's like, you know what? I do like her and I am going to spend some time with her and Mm -hmm. I am going to have a good time. The second he agrees to it, Mm -hmm. she's like, oh no, I don't like this at all. You're mine and I don't want to share you. Right. I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's her, it's her personal feelings of, I love this man uh, against her practical feelings of this is a means to an end and it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, uh, I think the end is a foreshadowed in the way that although this was a means to an end and it had to be done, uh, it, it broke me inside because my <laughs> actual feelings were, I want to be with you and I don't want to share you. And then I did. And I, I can't live the rest of my life sharing you is yeah. all I've learned during this time. And uh, so I think it's a little foreshadowed there. I guess so. I, I, I just, I think that there's a way to be, okay. There's a way of making a character sympathetic, even though they're clearly born with like a giant silver spoon in their mouth and make them look kind of happy and make them sympathetic. Like there's a way to do it successfully, AKA Titanic, because arguably Rose is the most unsympathetic character in movie history but she (laughs) you but you're rooting for her and i would say in this movie you you have this silver spoon kind of bratty girl being like oh well i want this guy and well it's like well that's just not the way that it can be you don't really have that same sort of investment in the character where you're really rooting for her like if she ends up with him or not you're kind of like okay like whatever like you're still super rich like i just don't really care that much and it just kind of i think the thing really bugged me was like you can't do something that manipulative and evil whether it was conscious or not and then reject the entire reward of your work it just i it it's kind of like a fuck you to the audience i guess is what i'm saying because okay great i understand that the character you know is her biggest uh self-sabotage because she fucked things up for herself and now she can never be happy but it's like i don't buy that and it just kind of made me like what was the point of this movie just convince me that her character was kind of a giant brat like okay cool like (laughs) i just yeah i i um again uh i love helena bottom carter and i actually really liked watching her in this movie because i just love watching her because she's so good I mean, especially like in the crown and stuff like that, like Princess Margaret, like I loved her version. I love her version of everything, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but this particular movie, I'm a little surprised that this was her first and only lead nomination. And um, I've just seen Helena Bottom Carter shine so much brighter that I'm um, I I would definitely say give this movie a watch. It's it's worth a watch, but I don't I don't think it's something I would ever watch again. Yeah, yeah, it, it was fine. Yeah, like it was. <laughs> All right, uh, but uh, be, before we move on, because I like I like how we always add like a little uh, a little extra thing at the end of the, uh, each of these uh, movies. But uh, I want to know if you noticed the same thing because uh, I thought artistically this was a really interesting thing to do. But um, at the end of the movie, in the final scene when they're together and she's naked in the bed, hmm. uh, she rolls over onto her side. Uh, in uh, in an almost uh, uh, fetal position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as soon as that happened, I was like, wait, what? And I had to rewind 
to the scene where she introduces her journalist boyfriend to rich American girl at the art uh, installation. And she introduces them in front of a painting of a woman on a bed in the fetal position. Uh, And it is, uh, I don't know. It must've been the directors and the cinematographers idea to do this because it is an exact uh, replication of the painting where these two characters meet and form a connection uh, because of her. Wow. And I was just like, I wonder what that means. Oh. I wonder what they're trying to say with that, where it's okay. like, you. Fa- I brought you here to this painting and you, this is where ostensibly you started falling in love with each other. And now I am going to recreate that painting as I ask you to love me instead. That's interesting. So it's like foreshadowing and um, it's yeah. symbolic. Oh, that's interesting. So if you watch the film at all, uh, just look for that uh, because uh, I I truly feel that anybody watching this film is going to believe it was fine. It was a, it was fine. It was fine. Do you remember? I think the funniest part of the movie though was the when they brought the dying sick rich woman to like <laughs> like a dead fish market on like a hot summer day. That was. <laughs> That was, I was like, what was the point of, and then she gets really sick and you're like, well, yeah, that's like really nasty. Um, All right. Let's talk about Julie Christie in a little film called Afterglow. And whenever you're watching this particular movie, I saw that it was free on the Tubi TV app. Oh, that's how I saw it. Yeah. And I immediately (laughs) was like, ah, fuck because i just knew and also um uh tim real vous êtes très gentil because they're in canada and they need to let you know every five seconds by being like bonjour salut that was my biggest issue with the movie because they do not let you know that's i was it was driving me nuts i'm like why is everybody speaking french to these people everybody is clearly north america like at least at the very least uh north american but they Mm -hmm. it seems american other than the fact i'm watching this film and there are places that you and i have been drunk at by the way yeah (laughs) Uh, i'm like watching some scenes of down the thing i'm like yeah yeah, Kyle and I have strolled drunk down this street. Yes. Uh, so I'm like, okay, this is clearly in Montreal. Uh, but it hadn't even clicked to me that the film was set in Montreal until mm-hmm. an hour later when it's offhandedly said that uh, that's why we, we moved to Montreal to find our daughter. And yeah. I was just like, wait, you are in Montreal? That's why everyone's speaking French to you? Yeah. That, that okay. That okay. That makes a whole lot of sense. But no, no, it is not clear <laughs> until like an hour in that they are in Montreal. So I'm not gonna lie. I fucking loved this movie because it's camp, and it, okay. the I don't know if it was supposed to be camp, but it was like this fun fact about the movie. They're like, it's Canadian. I'm like, yeah, yeah, honey. I'm watching Nick Nolte and Julie Christie on a made for TV <laughs> movie on a Tubi TV free app. I'm very aware that this is Canadian. Yeah. Um, like, uh, so basically the movie Afterglow, um, what's it about? There are so many things. First of all, it, the way that I was kind of understanding it, just be, just before you explain this, because I, I I hate interrupting you during these parts because they are some of my favorite parts of your podcast, (laughs) but before you get into it, uh, I absolutely, uh, because of this uh, particular point, uh, what is this movie about? 
Uh, not Julie Christie. I know. <laughs> it's like <laughs> there's five things going on. Oh so, my god. So okay, so okay, the okay, so one thing that's going on is that Nick Nolte is like this sexy plumber, and he's like, he's like the a lot of the movie, the way that it starts, it's sort of like the premise is like, what if a porno scenario was written by a legit movie screenplay writer, and that's kind of where I thought it was going because you know you have those lines, uh, where. Uh, I I, fuck, I wrote one of them down here where it's like, uh, okay, Nick Nolte, he writes, okay, Judy, okay, Judy, turn me on when she's like talking about like the sink and he's like, Judy, turn me on. And then he like fucks her Make and then wet. he's like going around <laughs> like fixing everyone's apartment and like every single housewife is like throwing themselves like so Lara Flynn Boyle. AKA Stacy from Wayne's World. <laughs> hey girl. Um, she was like the desperate housewife who was married to Johnny Lee Miller, who I still don't understand what his problem was with uh Lara Flynn Boyle. Was it that he was unhappy with her because she was young or that she he no, wasn't attracted uh, they pulled to back. her? Uh, see, I thought I thought you were gonna catch a, a pick up on this uh, uh because uh this I mean uh, let's be blunt about it. Uh, it is uh, played up to a certain point and then they pull back and I assume because it's 1998. Because he's gay? But uh, he's gay. Okay, wait. We'll get into that. We're going to get into that because I have, a, I have a thing. But then, okay, so then Lara Flynn Boyle's like, I want a baby. And then um, Johnny Lee Miller is like, I'm attracted to old, fabulous women. And then Julie Christie is like the only character who's actually in a movie because julie christie she has a character and in the movie it's like she used to be this like b-list actress in these like horrible movies these horror movies and now like all she does is just sit at home and she just gets drunk all the time and i'm you know like looking in a mirror and she spends like all of her time in a park holding a mirror up to her face like working on her expressions i'm not sure what she was doing (laughs) and then like she keeps seeing her daughter who by the way her daughter is living like i thought it was like a ghost or something like i was like because she keeps seeing her daughter on the bridge and then she's like she's like what the hell was her yeah Cassie, Cassie, and then she's like running after her and then she can't get to her and i'm like oh because you know she has unresolved like uh, issues with her daughter. Maybe her daughter died, and there's she, there's things that she wished that she could say or apologize for. No, no, no. Her daughter was actually there. She just was literally not paying attention to her and was just walking away like a robot. It was so fucking weird. But Julie Christie, I, I I'm gonna give her some solid props for this because this movie was all over the place. It made no sense. Every five seconds, it was like, bonjour for no reason. We're in Canada. <laughs> it would be like, it'd be like, fuck you, Julie Christie. Au revoir. Like, it was like, what the fuck is this? Um, And uh, Julie Christie, she she, she kind of had this, like, mysteriousness to her. She kind of had this, like, older woman confidence, but, like, also this kind of, like, sexiness to her. She was very... um like kind of cool. Like she was like a cool kind of person. And I actually really liked her in this movie. And I actually really loved watching this movie for uh, maybe not intended purposes. It was just so funny to me. And, but Julie Christie, I think really, really did a good job with this garbage (laughs) script. (laughs) 
Uh, so uh, this is the fourth of the five movies that I watched. Uh, uh, in Because, yeah, obviously for this, we rewatch everything. And so this was the fourth one. And um, I didn't have the same experience with Julie Christie, but I think okay. for the exact same reason that you did have that experience with Julie Christie. Uh, Julie Christie is absolutely uh, a professional skilled actress doing mm-hmm. a professional skilled actress job with not a lot, by the way, they do not give her a lot. Like uh, mm-hmm. all of the things that you explained about the plot, um, you definitely uh, figure that out from insinuation because yes. uh, she does not spend <laughs> enough time on screen for you to actually get that information. Uh, you have to piece together a lot of things that uh, Nick Nolte says to Lara Flynn Boyle to understand what's happening with uh, Julie Christie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, because uh, looking back on it now, I think you're absolutely right. And I should have seen it this way, but I felt it was so understated and boring and bland of a performance simply because <laughs> of how big Lara Flynn Boyle takes everything. Yes. <laughs> And 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 I and because uh, this was the fourth movie I watched. After I watched this movie, mm-hmm. I went back to the Academy Awards uh, website to find out uh, because I'm like, after watching the films, I'm like, I have a suspicion here, and so I went to see if any of the movies that the best actresses were nominated for were nominated in any way for anything else, and for right. the most part. No, like that's, that's what, how yeah. shit that year was for actresses yeah. that none of the movies that a good performance was in. I'm doing air quotes if I you couldn't hear it in my voice, but the only <laughs> films with a good lead female uh, weren't good enough to be nominated for best editing. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's right. So it's like, uh, it was not, a, it was not a great year for actresses for this. Cause I was watching it and I'm like, at the very least, first of all, Julie Christie, not the lead actress in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second of all, uh, the only person who's doing backflips uh, in this is Lara Flynn Boyle. Mm-hmm. But looking back on it, the way you're looking at it, I think mm-hmm. it's because everybody else, writers, filmmakers, and editor included, everybody else was making, an overblown TV movie and uh, Julie Christie was uh, acting her ass off. She was. And the thing about a lot of, I think, I think, I think a a lot of of what does not work in movie is just all of the random, like, so it's like it breaks off and then it's no longer about Julie Christie. It's about Nick Nolte having sex with Lara Flynn Boyle. And then, you find out that Lara Flynn Boyle gets pregnant. And then in the end, you find out that um, Nick Nolte and Julie Christie are still together. And the reason why their daughter doesn't talk to them is because you find out that Nick Nolte wasn't actually the father of their daughter. And now she simply just won't talk to them, question mark, because Nick Nolte like rejected the daughter and was like, fuck you, you're not my kid. And then I guess Nick Nolte gets Lara Flynn Boyle pregnant and Johnny Lee Miller, uh, Lara Flynn Boyle's gay husband, doesn't know that the baby wasn't his. So they're perpetuating the cycle again that Julie Christie went through with her daughter and with Nick Nolte. And then the ending is like Julie Christie, like scream moan crying like on the bed and it was her realizing that um like her daughter okay 
All I'm saying the ending is too weird. No, no, I I know exactly why you're having trouble with this. That ending was too weird. I was very impressed with the uh, the full out <laughs> three year old toddler's temper tantrum that Julie Christie was having. Uh, I had not seen a human being cry like that since my own <laughs> children. Uh, it was, uh, it but was I was a like, lot. that's that was yeah. it was a lot, but it was also very brave. I thought it was very it was an interesting choice, and it was it, it was technically a very difficult thing to do anyway because she doesn't break there's you don't see any falseness in in while she's doing it that mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't look put upon but uh clearly she's having this crazy meltdown uh for uh, a bunch of reasons but one of which is that her her daughter is like has officially it's like it's really over like super super rejected and then isn't the last scene like we see her fucking daughter like at like at a door or something. And I'm like, what is happening here? I don't understand what's going on anymore. I think the, I thought the last scene was the, all I know is that for the moaning scream crying, like if I mm-hmm. was the director, I'd be like, honey, you need to, you need to take, you're at a 12. <laughs> it's like, I, you're, you're at a Lara Flynn Boyle and I need yeah. you to be at a Julie Christie. <laughs> yeah. I need you to bring it down. Okay. Uh, well, I'm just going to say one last thing and, and then we need to move on. But I would just say that Julie Christie is clearly demonstrating that the script is merely a jumping off point because she really made the character a lot more interesting and, um, captivating when truly this was just kind of a disaster and it was kind of easier for audiences to see her in this particular role because at this point in her career she had a lot of unforgettable films in the 80s and she only made three movies in the 90s and this was one of them and you know her playing like a kind of a washed up actress it it fit and I think that that probably lended to the narrative of of the nomination for the Academy Awards. Um, probably uh, be- because we did tease it we do have to talk about uh, there's a scene where Johnny Lee Miller uh, for all intents and purposes his boyfriend takes him to dinner uh, and yeah. says this is and, and takes him to uh, a, Chinese a, restaurant. a Chinese restaurant where it's family seating mm-hmm. and they sit at a table with a bunch of other men and that's where his boyfriend uh, is like this is a basically a coming out thing and uh, looks to Johnny uh, to be like this is this is a safe place we can we can talk to these people and do all this stuff. And then Johnny Lee Miller has a panic attack. And then we see him start pushing <laughs> away from this dude that he works with. Um, oh, yeah. And that's how I saw it. Uh, I thought that would be a major point that you brought up. So now I'm wondering if I read too much into it. And did you see a straight guy panicking that he found out his friend was gay? Yes. Because for me, there were a couple moments. Yeah. For me, all I saw was somebody who's like in this marriage isn't attracted to her, doesn't want to be with her. And uh, mm-hmm. simply because he's hiding the fact that, yeah, I don't want to be with you because I want to be with this guy I spend so much time with. Uh, he's think- the man I love and I don't, but I have to be with you because I'm trying to be big white collar important dude at my business Mm -hmm. well they call what what that's actually called it's a it's a it's a term it's called queer baiting and what that means is they most okay a lot of screenwriters uh are some kind of lgbtq you know it's quite common obviously Mm -hmm. and obviously it's not very um common to have gay storylines like male female trans by whatever in mainstream uh movies because we're trying to protect the homophobes and um what they often do is they do a thing called queer baiting and what that is where it's sort of like and i i 
I'm, I really want to do this justice in this description. It's sort of like this little Easter egg that only gay people can see, where if you are a straight person, it might just seem like perfectly normal to you. It's almost like a secret language that like gay people can see in characters. And one of the most famous queer baiting in all of movie history uh, is, um, I'm not very familiar with the franchise, but I watched a video on it and I was like, oh, that's really interesting, is Captain America and his brother rival friend there who you know the one with like the the one with the bob he has like a fake arm yeah bucky so that is one of the most queer baiting stories where a straight guy would watch that and they'd be like oh yeah they're just friends like they're clearly like best friends and they love each other total bros but when you're (laughs) a gay person and you watch it you're like oh clearly they were in love with each other and there's so much more to that so it's sort of like maybe that was the point of that gay character because it's sort of like um i remember the the restaurant scene and i remember just being like because when i was watching it i was like oh well obviously the character is gay but they can't say that he's gay because it was like the 90s i don't know and so in my mind the character has to be straight because it's supposed to be like a wink wink to the gay audience members but i don't actually think normal people would get that or maybe why you picked up on it was because it's 2021 and obviously now when you look back you're like what the fuck that's really weird but at the time that was probably so normal so i feel like it was just like a little wink wink to the audience i think you're probably right about that but i think that the character uh if it was written today would probably be very very different but yeah i i he probably was gay yeah it probably is exactly what it was but yeah yeah i just felt like they pulled back at the end where they're like no no he's not gay he's just into something else and uh lara flynn boyle is too young and sexy he needs someone who's old and experienced and i'm like no no he's clearly (laughs) in love with that man who brought him to the gay chinese place yes and i'm like where is this restaurant i would like to go um (laughs) i I love me some chinese food okay so um this is going to be a bit of a longer episode because this is literally like my favorite movie of all time and it's a little film that i like to call the titanic and we call it the titanic in my house because i think that uh titanic is that movie that like all straight guys are like, fuck that. I always used to put on the second tape and just watch the action scene because this movie is shit. And you're like, fuck off. This is the perfect movie because it's for everybody. You have action, you have romance, you have, it's like a period drama. It's historically accurate. Um, It's cheesy. It's serious. It's funny. It's dramatic. It's literally... Anybody, I think anybody that literally hates this movie, I think that they just hate the human experience. And I agree. Yes, it's a little, (laughs) I agree. Yes, it's a little corny. And that's why it was not nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Okay, it's a little bit corny. Fine. But at the same time, this movie at the time, as I'm sure you remember, was a fucking juggernaut. This was the first Mm -hmm. film to ever get a billion dollars at the box office. This was kind of like our Gone with the Wind of our sort of generation. When this movie came out in 1997, I was eight years old and my parents brought me to the theater and I very distinctly remember crying. And I think for a movie to affect a child like that, I think that that's very, very powerful. Um, but before I get into it, I do have to say this, this is going to be like a little bit of a longer thing and I'm sorry, but 
I just wanted to say that uh, talking about how Rose is literally the most unsympathetic character in movie history, because I love this movie, but my biggest critique of it is that I don't know if a movie like this would work now, because basically you have this incredibly super right, super white, rich, privileged white woman uh, who, you know, for sure, like owns Amazon and she has this supermodel fiance, Billy Zane, trying to win her over. And she's literally like, Bleh. and then, you know, he gives her like a 56 carat diamond necklace the size of her fucking head. And she's like, oh, my God. Anyway, I'm going to go fuck a homeless guy I met yesterday. You're like, great. And then, <laughs> you know, it's like he just gave you a $200 million necklace and you didn't even say thank you. Like, I once blew a guy because he paid for parking. Like, you owe him. So basically, the point that I'm trying to make about this movie is... I've had this movie was like my movie. And then like, as I'm getting older, I'm like experiencing the movie in a different way, but I still like love it. And now that I'm getting older and I'm watching it, I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, like Rose is not really my favorite. She's actually kind of an asshole. If you like really, she just abandons her family completely for a guy that lives under a bridge. You're like, that's okay. And you know, I, I, I also like that whole, like poor little rich girl thing, like a hundred percent poor little rich girl. Um, and I'm not going to tell anybody what the movie Titanic is about. Cause I'm pretty sure we've all seen it. Uh, and oh my, like, okay. So the point that I'm trying to make is that I love that as I get older, I experience the movie like in different ways, but I still love this movie. I would argue that, yeah, this is probably like my favorite or at least one of my most favorite movies, like ever, ever, ever. I have seen this movie a bazillion times. Um, and I, I love that you're on this podcast as a straight man because I literally I can't I can't wait to hear your hot take. So <laughs> let's get started. Kate Winslet, Titanic, go. All right, Kate Winslet. Oh God, um, I, I'm going to get in so much trouble from all of your <laughs> female base because uh, I, when I watched when I watched Titanic originally, I, I think I was uh, 16 at the time, and so mm -hmm. I was dating. Uh, I was not only was I 16, but I was living in a, in, in a place where there are many rich white girls and uh, <laughs> and a lot of people. Sometimes I hear people. Uh, I, that's not true. Sometimes I hear other women who watch Titanic, uh, who talk about how unrealistic uh, Rose is. And I have to keep my mouth shut because uh, Rose is literally every 16 year old white girl I knew. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and it's like, and, and watching it now, it just brings back memories of some of my favorite human beings, uh, uh, my friend Leah, my friend Jessica, uh, 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 some of which uh, got very angry when they got a, 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 a blue Jaguar for their 16th birthday because they really wanted a red one. Oh uh, but they were so and but always put upon they were very much like uh yeah everything they the, anything they want they can have any mm -hmm. boy they want they could have they go to the parties they do whatever they want but very very vocal about how hard and difficult everything is for them and and and, and i'm like watching rose and i'm like oh yeah Oh, I miss I miss those girls. I miss them so much. Uh, it is it's 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 just odd to like, and it's like it's it, it you know you know that somewhere they've got uh, in their in their in their phone. There's just a meme saying, uh, uh, "You never know, uh, you never know what's going on underneath." <clears throat> Everybody is dealing with their own problems, uh, <laughs> and it's just like ah. Oh. And so when I watch Rose, I'm like, uh, 
this might be the most accurate depiction of a 16 year old rich white girl I have mm-hmm. ever seen on film mm-hmm. uh, because uh, she is doing a lot of the um, uh, 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 like posing, like uh, trying, mm-hmm. uh, she's trying to reflect what she believes a tough person is and uh she's also insecure because human beings are insecure all the time mm-hmm. and so she's fighting with that it's it's a vi- the the first tape of titanic is is a very layered and insular performance from kate winslet and anybody who thinks that she's overdoing it or 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 playing it badly has not hung around with 16 year old white girls before <laughs> because they are overdoing it and putting it on uh it is it, it, for me it's a, it's an accurate portrayal and you can see the gears working in her brain mm-hmm. where I've got to put this mask on, but I also am sad and I don't know. And I, and I feel out of like, it's almost a fish out of water type of thing where she's like, I don't really know how to deal with the situation, mm-hmm. but I know that I must show people that I am dealing with this situation. So I did think that there was a, there was a lot going on with this. Uh, but the only other hot take I have for this is also looking back at my own experience mm-hmm. with uh, people uh, like Rose <laughs> is um, uh, Leonardo, uh, Jack, uh, uh, fucking you should have never you should have just ran uh, bitch is trouble if you had yeah. made it off the boat with her she'd been she would have been gone after a week because uh, she would have been miserable uh, she thought she would want a bohemian life but after a week of uh, <laughs> sleeping on a bench she would find you much less interesting uh, yeah. so uh, uh, I don't want to say that him dying was a good thing but uh, <laughs> in terms of that relationship it saved it uh, for sure I I I'm I'm actually a little surprised that that you had such uh, wonderful things to say about this performance. I literally had a heart of the ocean necklace on, and I was ready to clutch it <laughs> and gasp. I was like, "Okay, here we go," and I was I was not expecting that. I will I will say that yeah, because listen, listen, like he wouldn't be dead if it wasn't for her. And they literally met like two seconds ago. So you're like, I don't yeah. know if I would kill myself over somebody that I had no future with a day ago, but I mean like, you know, do you babe? But I will just say um, before we jump into all of the things, Kate Winslet, I'm just mm-hmm. going to name off a couple of uh, a bunch of facts. So one, Johnny Depp was actually offered the role of Jack and he said no. And he literally was like, he says that that's like the biggest regret of his career. Yeah, because um, he's obviously done so badly for himself. <laughs> well, Mordecai. Uh, the, <laughs> that was kind of a career ender. Um, so uh, uh, the old people that are spooning when the room is flooding with water are actually the original owners of Macy's like the department store and the wife like the ref- characters or the actual people, <laughs> maybe both. Uh, <laughs> that's how they wanted to go out. No. Um, yeah. The actual people, uh, with the, like the characters were the owners of Macy's. The wife chose to die with the husband because he couldn't get on the lifeboat. And she was like, where you go, I go. Uh, the mm-hmm. scenes set in 1912 are in the movie are, um, Two hours and 40 minutes, which is the exact time that it took for the Titanic to sink. Obviously, James Cameron is a stickler for accuracy. Uh, Yep. Gloria Stewart, old Rose. It's been 84 years. Oh, side note. Do you remember in the movie when she finds her, when when they find the drawing and then she, she's going through the things they've like recovered and then they find the mirror and she's like, 
she's like, "How this was mine. How extraordinary. And then she looks into the mirror and she goes, the reflection has changed a bit. I remember, I remember <laughs> when she says that line in like 1997, every single mom and dad in the theater was like, Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, it was like the it was of comedy. Oh my god, I remember as a kid being like, "Really, guys? Like, really?" Like, I was like, "That was that was really hack." Um, but then, um, <laughs> so James Cameron said that he would only do the movie if he could physically go to the Titanic. The movie cost two hundred million dollars to make, um, and uh, oh, what is it? And it's one point five million pounds. Uh, time which would have been oh it cost more money to make the movie than to actually make the Titanic <laughs> so <laughs> it cost it cost 7.5 uh, million which in 1912 would have been worth 120 to 150 million dollars in 1997 and it cost 200 million dollars to make the movie so it cost more money to make the movie than to actually make the Titanic which, um, by the way, sounds like a ridiculous thing. We're like, oh, my God, that's crazy. But let's uh, let's take a look at which ones were more profitable. That's a, yeah, that is that is a very good one. was a much better investment. Um, <laughs> the famous line, I'm the king of the world, was ad libbed. Uh, this was the first film to be nominated twice for acting for playing the same character because you have old Rose and you have young Rose. Uh, and Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio are now both very embarrassed by this performance because they call, um, Kate, well, Kate Winslet specifically said that her accent was awful and she feels that her acting could have been better. Here's the thing that I will say from one artist to another. Obviously, I'm not on the same level in any capacity as Kate Winslet, but I'm just saying one thing I can recognize is that when you look back on your old work, you'll always be like, ugh. And so... I think that it, this was still an incredible performance of her. Yeah, there are definitely moments where, like, she loses her accent. Like, whenever she's like, don't be absurd. Like, no one talks, no American says something like that. <laughs> or um, whenever she, I think the worst part in, in the movie that is like, oh, my God, I'm going to vomit all over your face, Kate Winslet. What are you doing? Is when she grabs the sketchbook from him and she's like, what is this? Some sort of a, some, some sort of an artist or something. And then um, she's like, well, these are good. These are, oh, these are, Jack, this is exquisite work. And then she's like going through the book and then she finds like her little thing. And then she's like, you had a love affair for this woman. And then he's like, oh, no, no, no. Just with her hands. Uh, she, she was a one-legged prostitute. And then here it comes. She's like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's like that Kristen Stewart stutter where you're like, oh, my God, like that is so cringy. It is the worst acting I have ever seen on screen. Uh, Kate Winslet, I love you in this movie, but I'm not every time that scene comes on. I fast forward through it because it makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> I think I was spending too much time angry with Leo where I was just like, that's not <laughs> that's not sound reasoning. It's like, oh, you've had a love affair with this woman. Oh, no, I didn't. She only had one leg. It's like, oh, okay. Like, what? <laughs> no, you can't. That's not a reason. It's you like, ableist. oh, oh, did she only have one leg? Oh, I guess, I guess you didn't love her because she only had one leg. Like, that's no. true. Didn't you think still about that. could have had a love affair with her. It didn't make her unfuckable. Uh, yeah. I mean, some might argue it made her more fuckable. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? 
<laughs> he was an ableist bastard. Um, uh, uh, Baffy Cates shows up as the unsinkable Mo- Molly Brown. She's the sassy sheriff keeping it real. Yes, I know it's Kathy Bates, but I for some reason I call her Baffy Cates. It's just it's it it's, it is what it Wait, is. Wait, did you think I was confused? Yeah, I was, I was like just <laughs> just 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 so we it's just so we're clear. Um, I think that. Oh my God, I don't even know how to talk about. So, you know, Kate Winslet in this movie, she was like, I want the water to be freezing because I want it to be realistic. Whenever she is being the high society, little privileged white girl, she's really playing that very well, but in a likable way. Um, I think the moments where she gets like drudged out of the Atlantic and she looks like that she would for sure be like sorted into the house of Slytherin, you know, that's me what I look like whenever I'm hungover. I think everything in this movie is done flawlessly. This is, um, in my mind, the only epic movie that I can think of that I've ever like genuinely loved. And I have nothing negative to say about her performance at all, because let's be honest, the the script is really cheesy. And yeah, I'm it's sorry. Not, it's not super. It's It's so cheesy. And then Kate Winslet, and Leo like elevated the material and made it so compelling when, as I was saying before, it is kind of really, her character is kind of a brat and uh, like, uh, like, you know, he saved me in every way that a person could be saved. It's like saved you from what Billy Zane Dick? Like, uh Oh, like he's a supermodel and he's fucking rich and he's handing you $200 million necklaces. Please like, wow, that seems hard for you. I don't know. Kate Winslet is is kind of an awful character, but I still love her and I love every moment in this movie. And yeah, I just mwah, mwah, mwah. <laughs> yeah, for me, the only for me, the only negative I had out of this movie is uh, I don't think Leo <clears throat> elevated. Um, I think uh, and I don't I don't know uh, exactly the ages that people are supposed to be, but I, I pin Kate Winslet's character to act like uh probably a 16 or 17 year old she's 17 in the movie yeah yeah um but leo uh ostensibly from his wide travel and the things he says to her is probably 26 or 27 but legitimately was me also at 16 Mm -hmm. and that was my biggest issue uh leo does not act like a mid to late 20s person he definitely acts like a teenager Uh, And so uh, for me, it was uh, and I think it's just because, I mean, it's written by James Cameron, who uh, can't remember the difference between 17 and 27. They were so long ago. Uh, But uh, so for me, that was the the slight down point. But you did bring up uh, Kathy Bates. Uh, I watched the Titanic with uh, with my daughters because they hadn't seen it. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm watching this movie. uh, Hang out with me and we'll watch this movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, it occurred to me that when she came on screen, I said, oh, this is the only real person uh and i had to explain to my daughter that uh the titanic uh sailed and uh had 2200 people on board Mm -hmm. and uh, was a real thing that happened and james cameron did a lot of research knew everything about the titanic uh knew uh, about all of the people and all of the things and of those 2200 people that actually were on the titanic he couldn't find one interesting story and so had to invent people to make a movie about and put them on a real event. And then she's like, oh yeah, just as a nod, we're also going to have them be friends with a person who was actually on the boat. And I'm like, you can't bring in the unsinkable Molly Brown to talk to these fake people because they're, 
She did real things. Yeah. Like <laughs> you couldn't find one story out of 2200 people? Yeah, right. It she yeah, he apparently for every single extra took them aside and gave them a backstory. So like every single person knew everything that they were supposed to do and where they were coming from and um uh oh my god, I think one of the parts with Kate Winslet that I uh one of my favorite parts it's so it's so quick. It's the moment whenever she's alone and she has to go into the ship to find Jack because he's like chained up against that pole and the L- the the ship is on a bit of an angle and then all the lights go out and she's like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do? And she's just standing there with her eyes closed and she's like breathing. That moment, you like can feel how yeah. fucking terrified she is. Um, it... it, it Everything about every single thing about this movie, although I will just say this, though, just because I'm I'm biased because I'm dating an Irish person. But like I would have gone for Tommy, the Irishman over Leo any day. I have always found Leonardo DiCaprio very overrated. Uh, But that is my (laughs) that is my opinion. You're Um, absolutely right. The only (laughs) thing I have left to say is uh, tape two. Of the Titanic, because I am a straight white dude, I uh, I loved it. Uh, but I also like period romantic pieces. So I do mm-hmm. like that he did split the movie up into two movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like that. But take two of the Titanic. Uh, I preferred Kate's performance in the second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I was very, very sad uh, that Kate decided to be a, an excellent actress for the rest of her life. Yeah. Because I definitely <laughs> would have liked to see her uh, pull a Shia LaBeouf and uh, become uh, an action hero instead. Yeah. Uh, because I thought she did <laughs> fucking fantastic. Like that, the second half of Titanic is some better action hero stuff than I've seen in the majority of female action hero things. I think Emily uh, Blunt is kind of doing that now. Emily Blunt is doing great. And I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, and uh, um, what's her name? Um, the other British, uh, the one that I'm. God, I'm mad. Kate Beckinsale uh, is also doing a pretty, uh, pretty decent job of tur- doing the action stuff. But um, I was a little disappointed that, uh, uh, yeah, Kate Winslet was like uh, a very professional and successful uh, actual actress. Yeah. Because I would, I would have liked to see her in a like in a in a Transformers or something. Well, she said she would never work with James Cameron ever again unless the money was there, and she's going to be in Avatar too. So, mm. look, watch out. Might be I'm good. excited then. I'm I wasn't and now I am excited for Avatar 2. Avatar 2. <laughs> um so oh my gosh, we're so over time. I'm so, I, know, I apologize. I'm so sorry. That's my fault. No, I apologize to the listeners. Normally I would end the episodes at this point. It's just that ty- the Titanic is like my favorite movie ever, so it's going to get a little bit more love. Um a couple things and then we really have to move on. So first one, uh whenever she takes the note from him where he's like make it count and like she's supposed to be subtle about hiding the note and reading the note about as subtle as a gun bitch like holy shit like he hands her the note and she's like huh what like looking over her shoulder she's like being so conspicuous you're like oh my god girl like what are you doing that i thought was like really funny um the scene whenever she uh spits in cal's face and she's like i'd rather be his whore than your wife that was actually lube, like KY jelly, because she did this spit take like a bazillion times because, you know, James Cam is a perfectionist and he wants it done perfectly. But she had no spit in her mouth and she actually had to take like lube and like spit it in his face a hundred times. Um, 
you see the full journey of the Rose's character from start to finish, whether people like it or not. Um, this movie was like the biggest deal of the time and people still watch it and are obsessed with it today. Uh, you really see the range of her abilities because for the first half, you know, it is sort of a love story. And in the second half, it's very much an action film. And as you're saying, she was incredible in the action part of it. And um, you can understand where Rose is coming from perfectly in both. Um, and I couldn't uh, do a podcast about this without saying the funniest part in the movie for me is whenever she runs into Mr. Andrews, uh, who's Canadian, by the way, not actually Irish. And uh, uh, what's his name? Ver Peter Vert? I can't remember his name. And then she's like, where's Leo? And he's like, he's like, take the elevator to the very bottom. Go to the left, down the groomman's passage, then go right again at the stairs. You'll come to a long corridor. And she's like, totally got it. And you're like, bitch, you were not listening. What are you talking about? Um, and the heart of the ocean. Um the Heart of the Ocean, so, it's so silly. I remember there were so many commercials and parodies of that Heart of the Ocean thing that was so funny, but um, uh, she never sold it. She kept her whole life. I don't know why she would have sold it because she technically is the owner of it because Cal gave it to her. So she didn't steal it. If she holds on to that necklace, it's her necklace. So I don't know why she never sold it. Like, and that poor granddaughter listening to the story is like, um, when I told you that I had scoliosis, you told me to walk it off because um, we can't afford <laughs> we can't afford the brace. And you're telling me, bitch, that you had like a 200. OK, like you had better die tonight or I'm going to kill you in your sleep. Um, anyway, those are all the like silly joke things about the movie. But this is like my favorite movie. I love it, love it, love it. And I'm so sorry that you guys had to listen to like we us talk about it for like 25 minutes. But. Oh, oh no, fun you fact. Got, you, you, you've got to bring me back for your Patreon uh, exclusive <laughs> episode of just the Titanic. Because, I could. Uh, I we've easily got a could. Lot. There's a bunch more I'd like to talk about, especially the last stuff you just wrapped up. But yeah. Kate Winslet actually played the ship. No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> <laughs> she was... <laughs> she's that good. You you would never know. She's, she's that good. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. The winner is Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets. So this is a movie about a racist, homophobic man with OCD who is a brilliant writer who writes um, love, Harlequin, Roma. I'm not like romantic novels, but he like kind of hates women. And he hates everybody. Yeah, yeah <laughs> hates everybody. Um, and then Helen Hunt uh, is the literal single mom trying her best with a very sick child at home that just lets all of the racism and homophobia slide. Um, I don't know if that's what she does, but keep going. I mean, if I heard someone saying to a bunch of Jewish people like, oh, your noses are way too big. I'd be like, hey, you're a racist and you're no longer welcome in my restaurant. And that would be the end of the conversation. Every day, this guy, Jack Nicholson, comes in and does something or says something. And they're like, oh, you. Like, it's just kind of um, very frustrating to watch after a while. And it doesn't really age well in 2021. That being said, though, Jack Nicholson is, holy shit, incredible 
in this yeah. movie. I love when Jack Nicholson plays an asshole and he does it very well. He actually didn't, he really didn't think that people would like this movie because he was being such a piece. And he literally was like, mm. he's like, I don't know if people are going to like this, but he <laughs> won an Oscar for it. Um, like, oh, you know, remember, remember whenever he says to Helen Hunt when she's like uh, at the restaurant because she's waiting on him and he's like, oh, we're all going to die. Like, I'm going to die. You're going to die. Sounds like your kid, too. Yeah, it sounds like your shit, your son is going to die as well. And then shit just gets fucking real. And you're like, but for me, that would be like, you're not, you're not welcome at this restaurant anymore. Yeah, I think, uh, and this this is where you and I uh, differ on this because uh, I think uh, I think the fact that she's the single mom with a sick kid and trying to make ends meet, having to go back and forth from Brooklyn to Manhattan to serve in this stupid uh, restaurant, I think uh, builds uh, Helen Hunt as a character with a lot of uh, uh, patience, but also a lot of empathy. And so I think that what 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 you're what you're seeing as somebody who's letting things slide, I'm seeing as somebody who's like everybody's dealing with their own shit, and uh, and, and it's uh, and she's just more patient than everybody else. Everybody else is uh, uh, rightfully so, by the way. I don't want to sound uh, like I'm shitting on everybody who would have because I definitely would have kicked him out, and I would be like, I don't have time for you. Right. But that comes from an area of selfishness where I'm like, you're making my life uh not as fun and so i don't want you in it right and uh and helen hunt's character is more of a uh you clearly have issues you clearly have problems but you are still a human being so as long as we can set some ground rules and we can try to keep you maintained Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) i i will be i will treat you as a human being uh, and, and so that's what I think is happening with Helen. It's, it, it's what I told myself to make myself, uh, uh, think that the plot made sense. Well, I, I love this movie. Don't get me wrong. I, I probably watch this movie once every couple months and I, uh, was really looking forward to watching it again. I, I really don't ever get sick of this movie. Helen Hunt is incredible in this film. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is the most recent film in Oscar history to win both best actor and best actress. Jack Nicholson won best actor for this. And that was the first time that he ever won an Oscar. He has three. Uh, this was the first time that he ever won an Oscar where the film didn't win best picture because best picture obviously went to Titanic, but yeah. for um, terms of endearment and one flew over the cuckoo's nest where he won, uh, you know, his uh, other Oscars that it had won. So this was the only one that hadn't um, this role for Helen Hunt was originally offered to Holly Hunter. And I would have, like don't get me wrong Helen Hunt was incredible in this movie uh, and uh, just knocked it out of the park and I think to have to work with Jack Nicholson would be so scary and intimidating and I think that she really held her own but I would also have loved to have seen how Holly Hunter would have done this um, that would be an interesting uh, I, it def- I I don't think we would have gotten the same movie uh, but, correct uh, I, I yeah. would like to see Holly Hunter try that that would have been cool I think that um what just kind of drove me crazy, and again, this isn't about the acting. This is just more the character. What really drove me crazy about the movie is that she basically spends the entire movie pointing out all of his problematic shit and, like, why he's an asshole. But then she ends up with him despite proving her own points throughout the entire film. So I found that to be kind of annoying. But I think that what kind of saves it, and I think that this is a very true reality um, that took me kind of a minute to understand and I talk a little bit about this in my stand-up about how um 
love relationships perpetuated by movies and television have essentially ruined us because we think that there's this standard of um, love, especially in a North American sense of like how love is supposed to be. And when you watch a um, movie, it's kind of sickening because it's like that is super not real and that is super unrelatable. And whenever she's like, you know, uh, why can't I have a normal boyfriend that is not crazy. And then her mom comes out and is like, because that doesn't exist. And I love that. That for me was what kind of made everything all better and everything. Okay. Because that is the reality of all relationships. There are so many things about every single person on this planet that are fucking crazy. Um, whether it's if for some people it's obvious or not, it always has ways of manifesting it in our own human behavior. We all got some crazy honey, you know? So you just kind of have to accept people for who they are. And if you have a connection with somebody and they also happen to be crazy, that's just, you know, who they are. But, um, I think for me, that line just brought it all together. And I, I really liked that. I liked that little angle that they took. I agree. Uh, that's an excellent point. I think that it's also kind of uh, <laughs> the way. Let me tell you what I didn't like about this movie. So again, <laughs> this was this was a different time in history, and so they obviously had to be so much more supportive than they actually would. So I completely understand why they did this, and they were right to do this. But now that we've grown as society and we're a little bit more comfortable with LGBTQ. Uh, narratives and people and and blah 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 blah. Um, it is so cringe the way that she speaks to Greg Kinnear, the gay guy who is brilliant in this movie, by the way. Um, it it the way that she speaks to him is so cringe because it's like she's almost like babying him, and I get that she's trying to be supportive because she's clearly like a mom, but it's just kind of gross because she talks to him like a cancer patient and she's like kissing him on the lips a lot. And she keeps being like, I love you. And you're like, you met him yesterday. Like, it's just this kind of thing where it's, it's, it's as a gay person watching that, it feels very condescending. And I completely understand why at the time she had to be so outwardly supportive and loving toward the character. And I would have at the time done the exact same thing, but watching it in this sort of lens, the way that, this straight white woman is kind of pitying him and like talking down to him and being so like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I love you. It's just kind of gross. It, it's just, yeah. This is why I love being on your podcast. This is why I like talking to you about these types of things, because I didn't catch any of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, what I saw in those scenes. Uh, and again, because I'm a straight white dude. So when I'm watching that scene, I'm not in Greg Kinnear. I'm not in Helen Hunt. I'm in Jack Nicholson. Right. And I'm watching Helen Hunt put on a performance to make me jealous and make right. me angry. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it, 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 uh, she's putting in the extra effort here. Like she's when they're pri in, uh, when uh, when uh, Greg Kinnear and uh, Helen Hunt's characters are alone, it's more subdued and just a friendship thing. But as soon as Jack is in the room, she puts it up to eleven uh, to poke the bear. Yeah. Uh, that's what I see in that scene. So uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go watch the movie again later and, uh, <laughs> try, and try to, and try to put me into a different person's brain uh, because, uh, 
yeah, I did not put myself into Greg Kinnear in that scene. So to me, it just seemed like Helen Hunt was like uh, spreading the uh, spreading it a little bit thick just to right. poke at uh, <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Probably. And you're probably right. Um, also, Greg Kinnear also does a naked drawing of Helen Hunt. She did not have a heart of the ocean. Uh, but she also had new drawings done. So I thought that was kind of funny. Two movies with two new drawings of two lead actresses nominated. (laughs) I don't know. I I assume you probably see the same thing as me because, uh, human beings are amazing, but, uh, I loved Mad About You. I loved Heaven, uh, Helen Hunt up until this point, but it was only in that scene that I realized what an absolute fucking smoke show Helen Hunt was at the yeah. time. Yeah. Where I'm just like, I'm looking at her, I'm like, Jesus, why didn't I have a crush on this woman? Yeah. I wow. love Helen Hunt. I know. I love I loved her in Twister. I've seen that so many times, but I always I always laugh at the part in this movie when she's running in the rain and her you can see her nipples, but she doesn't know. And then she like knocks on the door and then she realizes and she's like oh my god and just like (laughs) i I always find that part really really funny also the part of like this is her oscar moment of course is whenever she's crying and she's telling her mom like what do you want you know like what do you want for me like my life is a mess what do you want her mom's like i just want to go out and she's like okay (laughs) like that part (laughs) that part is hilarious and so 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 brilliant and so well acted um but uh, okay, I really, this is going on so long. I know, we need to wrap so it up. We I'm gotta like, wrap there's it a up. lot of things that I want to say, but I'm like, no, no, we don't have time for this. But we don't have time for this. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so let's go ahead and say who we thought the Oscars should have gone to. You are my guest, so you, I will give you the privilege of going first. Okay. I believe the Oscar should have gone to... Helen Hunt. Uh, no, they got it right. All right. Why? Uh, it's uh, for me. It's uh, and I and obviously this is a running theme with me. But uh, there's a lot of insular acting happening uh, with Helen Hunt's performance. Uh, a lot mm. of it is just under the surface. A lot of it is uh, her mindset, what she's thinking in the moment versus what she's doing and what she's saying. Uh, you can see that the actions and the <laughs> things she's saying are always underplayed by a heavier weight of her kid and her life and trying to just keep things moving forward. Mm -hmm. and that's not played off or hidden in any way Mm -hmm. it's all there when you watch any scene with helen hunt in this movie there is what's happening in the scene and also what this woman is dealing with all the time and of all of the movies it's the only performance where for me that happened the whole idea where an acting coach would be it would say while you say this i need you to be thinking this uh, it's the only time where I uh, in in that whole year where I saw an actress pull off incredible work and also incredible inside work mm-hmm. where it's just like you can see how hard her life is, even in the moments where it's not she, she's not playing to it being hard. She's got a sadness in in the way that she expresses herself, mm-hmm. uh, even when she's happy uh, and uh, and. And I think, I don't know if it's because of Jack Nicholson uh, elevating it, but uh, everybody in that film knocked it out of the park. And it would have, if she had been anything less than stellar, it would have been noticeable in that pack of people. Mm -hmm. So the fact that she not only held her own, but was a shining light in the movie, uh, I think for me just speaks to the incredible 
talent in this performance. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, seeing her in movies afterwards, uh, where she doesn't do it very well, uh, you can see the, the stark difference in when she pulls off a performance this good and when she doesn't. And I think she absolutely crushed it in as good as it gets. I agree with everything that you said. I, I, I think that she was amazing in this movie. And I think that, have you ever seen, um, the sessions no that was her only other oscar nomination she was in a supporting role and uh she plays this woman who helps people with physical disabilities and she has sex with them to uh, i can't remember if it's a, for a therapeutic reason or if it's for like a mental reason but she uh is I guess like a sex worker in this movie for people with like, it's, it's a very interesting role. I would recommend checking it out. It's, it's, it's good. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, say who I think. So I think that the Oscar should have gone to. Kate Winslet in Titanic. Oh my gosh. Big surprise. Um, I, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, um, you know, everything that Kate Winslet was saying about how like her accent wasn't really that good, you know, those kinds of things don't really matter because what I'm looking at right now is I'm 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 looking at uh the character and I am I understanding where your character is coming from. I, and and I don't think that you should lose an Oscar because you fucked up your accent a few times. And honestly, it wasn't that bad. There were there were a couple moments, but like don't be absurd, like that kind of shit. But literally, other than that, it it was per I thought it was fine. And I I think that you really see her journey from start to finish. You really see her change and her growth, even though it was over the course of like three days. But, you know, in the movie, it sounds it's quite different. Um, you feel her pain. You feel um, how happy she is, like, uh, as like an older person. I got the connection between Gloria Stewart and Kate Winslet, which is very difficult to do because they look nothing alike. I think that um, it is uh, an epic. I think it's Argon with the Wind. I think that she... Uh, is the Scarlett O'Hara of the Titanic, if you will. I think that she deserved uh, to win the Oscar. I think she probably didn't because they thought it was a little too soon, um, even though she'd already been nominated before for Sense and Sensibility. But um, I think that if you watch her work in Sense and Sensibility and then you see her in Titanic, it's a holy shit juggernaut of a transformation. Um, it, it's action, it's romance, it's, you see such a range in the character, and I think she nailed every single scene. Um, and I'm not even going to get into the whole, they could both fit on the door raft because they totally could have, but that's not the point uh, of the movie. See, I watched it again with the kids and I'm like, uh, there was room on it, but it's clear when he's trying to climb onto it, that the buoyancy of the door isn't there for both of them, but <clears throat> it's not a space issue. It's a yeah. buoyancy issue, but I mean, keep going. But if it, but I will have a podcast about that, but like, oh, yes. literally, but anyway, it, it, it's just, it's my childhood and it's just so iconic. So for me, it has to be Kate Winslet. Um, and I, I, I hope that she wins again. Cause she only has one for the reader, which was amazing. And I, I hope that she, I hope she gets another Oscar in her career. She's incredible. I hope, uh, I hope she wins for avatar too. Avatar 2, that, un, to be continued. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so um, everybody, uh, please, if you enjoy the show, uh, please uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, share it with your gays. Share it with your friends or movie fans or whatever. Uh, check us out on, I have an Instagram account. Please follow the account for updates. Uh, Tim Real, thank you so much for being a guest. Uh, where can people find you on social media? 
Uh, you can just uh, Tim uh, Tim Riel. Just Google it, and uh, my Insta comes up, my Facebook, my YouTube's, all that fun stuff. But most importantly, the uh, the love of my life right now is uh, I do a comedy game show called Codenames Live. Uh, mm-hmm. Kyle has been a guest in the past. Yes, and I it's, have. It's uh, one of the funnest things that I do, where we just play uh, a board game with a bunch of my uh, entertainment and celebrity friends that I don't get to hang out with anymore. And that happens every Monday and Thursday night at eight p.m on twitch.tv slash Tim underscore Riel. But of course, if you follow me on Instagram and or and or Facebook, uh, you'll find uh, you'll find me posting about that anyway. Excellent. Okay, well, thank you so much. We will definitely have you back again and uh, stay safe out there. Bye. Bye.